your reality is spiritual. His truth is his truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. This entire year is lining up. It's really interesting. Um, Good Friday lined up with the beginning of Passover, which I don't think is a coincidence. I don't think anything's a coincidence. You've probably learned that about me. And now this lines up with April Fools, and I thought, now what's going on here? Why did why is it lining up with that? So, and I don't know the history behind April Fools, so I went looking. And when you go out and look, you find out you'll find like five different ideas out there. Nobody really knows, but one of them I found, which seems to be one of the most established ones, is that let's see, I'm going to read some of this because I'm not a historian. Um, is that it dates back to 1582? when France switched from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar, according to the Council of Trent in 1563. Now, how it connects is there were people who were still observing the new year on April 1st instead of January 1st, and they became the the blunt of the jokes. And I thought, now, actually, that fits. That makes sense. In other words, those who were out of touch who weren't aware of how dramatically things had changed and didn't move with the change of what was happening, they became the blunt, but the blunt of the jokes. And so they started, you know, doing jokes on people. But I think, okay, so I came up with my own. I think it's to our enemy, the joke is on you. You tried to kill my king and you actually accomplished exactly what my king wanted to do for me. The joke's on you. That's what I think it is. (laughs) So this is one of those mornings where um, I I exploded this week with so much stuff that um, I really struggled. And I have like all these pages and I promise we won't do them all. Y'all have families and exciting stuff to get to. So I'm not quite sure what we're going to do. We're going to begin moving through it and see what God wants to do. But let's pray real quick. Father, we ask that this morning, this time that we have together, as has already been the case, we ask that it would be filled with your resurrection life in reality. We worship you and we come to hear about you because we believe that we are alive in your resurrection life right now. And we ask that this morning you would do things even right now in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. I know we have to do this part. We're going to begin by talking about glory just for a minute. And believe me, I don't even feel qualified to talk about God's glory. But, you know, this morning, that's what we celebrate, right? There is no aspect or moment in Jesus's ministry or anything else in all of Scripture that is is more a celebration or a revelation of the glory of God than the fact that he rose. The fact that he accomplished all things. So we're, glory is, even though, you know, it might be the main point, but even though it's not the only thing that we're going to look at this morning, it's woven into everything that we're going to do. And I believe there's gold here. I'm excited about the things God's not just going to tell us, but I believe he's going to do things. And so actually there's one more thing I want to share. I have to do this because we had the Seder meal. Right, and one of the big things that came up in that meal were were beautiful truths in the in the Jewish wedding and the marriage. The fact that the church, we are the bride of Christ, 
right? We are his bride. We're his beloved. And when Jesus was on the cross, if you want to turn with me, it's in John 19, verse 30. Just as Jesus died, it says, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, they lifted it up on a sponge to fulfill the scriptures. He said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now, here's what's cool about this. I, I, I ran into this in my prep this week, and I, I just can't leave it out, even though it doesn't really fit in. It's just we have to. <laughs> when he said it is finished, you understand it means that means it's, it's finished. It's, you're not waiting for resurrection life in the future. Okay, he is raised, and if we died with him, then we're also raised with him. We live in his resurrection life now. Amen? Do you know that? Okay. And here when he says it is finished, you find out when you look back at the Hebrew words, the Old Testament word for bride, it's kalal, which literally means bride, but it comes from the root kalal. Now kalal means to complete, to finish, to make perfect. That's literally the root for their word bride. And when Jesus said it is finished, he's declaring, I've done everything I need to do for my bride to be unified with me, to bring glory to God. Okay, now we're going to talk about glory this morning, but I want to I want to hit one concept here. Has it ever struck you as peculiar that the word of God tells us that we are to glorify God? How do you glorify God? Like as if he doesn't have enough glory, or you can give him glory that he doesn't already have. Glory is God. The only glory that there is is in God. It's the only place glory comes from. He doesn't need any glory from anybody else, right? So it's important to recognize that to glorify, Okay, there are places where even in Jesus's ministry, it says, I glorify my father or in, in the gospel of John, which we're going to look at a lot this morning. It says, it says, I have glorified the father. Now, father, glorify me. And it goes on and on. It keeps kind of going back and forth and repeating the same thing. I'm in the father and the father's in me. And he prays for us that you would be in me so that you'd be one with the father and the father would be glorified. What's glorified? Glorified. To be glorified is when we are one with him such that we bring his glory into the natural. We reveal his glory. You see, we can't add glory to him. We can only reveal it as we are one, as we are in unity with him. Now, I want you to see something. Look at uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 21 with me. Actually, go to 23, verse 23. We're going to look at two verses in Romans, okay, as an introduction. And you're going to be familiar with this. This is the famous spot where it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So what did we fall short of? The glory. We fell short of the glory of God. Now, if you think about that for a minute, it'll blow your mind. In other words, you were intended for glory. You were intended to be one with God such that you were in his glory. When Adam and Eve fell, what they fell from was the glory of God. Can you imagine that you're a vessel that is meant 
for the glory of God. And you understand that's the only way you could glorify him is if you had his glory and you were revealing it here in the natural, right? You cannot add glory to God. You can glorify him as you reveal what is true about him as his glory breaks into this natural. Yes? Okay, one more. Look at Romans 9 and verse 20. Um, let's see. Yep, 22. Here it says, What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Okay, you see, he's glorified as he overcomes darkness, first off, but that's not why we're reading this. In 23, it says, And, now listen to this. Let these words soak into you that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. Now we're going to keep reading, but what are the vessels of mercy? Yeah, you are, his bride, his church. We're the vessels of his mercy. Now did you hear what that said? That he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of his mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Did you hear it? You, the vessels of his mercy, are prepared beforehand for his glory. You are the vessels that carry the glory of God. If that's not humbling, <laughs> nothing will ever be humbling. And that is the only way we glorify him. And when he said it was finished, he said, I did everything I need to do for you to be in that kind of unity with me so that you can actually reveal my glory to the world and glorify me. That's the resurrection message right there. Okay, but that's not all we're going to do because I've got 20 pages up here. So <laughs> that's glory. Now we're going to see that glory through everything I, I believe the Lord wants um, us to go through this morning. And we'll, we'll just see where he leads here. Go with me. We're going to mostly be in the Gospel of John. You can start turning there if you want. We're going to be in John 11. Now, it's interesting. On, I'm sure that on Resurrection Sunday morning, what I'm supposed to do is teach the resurrection morning of Jesus. But God just kept leading me back. And we're actually going to look at Lazarus. Now, you know what happened? And there's a reason for this, because it's so good, because God's asking for it, I think. You know that he raised Lazarus on the Sabbath right before the Passover week began. Now believe me, Jesus is God. So Jesus displayed the glory of God all through his ministry, but never so, aside from his own resurrection, right? Never so directly as when he raised Lazarus. There's no greater revelation of the glory of God than the actual resurrection of life. Okay, and that pertains to various aspects of our life, right? We have places that are dead that need the resurrection life of Jesus in our lives, right? And the message is, is that we live in resurrection life. It's not something we're waiting for. Now, see, this story of Jesus coming and raising Lazarus is just loaded with the truth of what it is to live in resurrection life, what he was going to finish and accomplish for us. So look at verse 1 with me, John 11. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And then it clarifies for us, it was that Mary 
who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and who wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, the text makes clear in just a minute that he loves this family. I get it. Jesus loves all of us, but text specifically says that he loves this family. So there's a unique friendship, relationship, closeness that he has with this family. And then it gets a little weird, at least until you look at it and find out what's going on. Listen to these words. It says, when Jesus heard that, so he's receiving this news. And when he heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Okay, so in other words, look, it's a dark situation. He's sick, sick enough that they're sending, that they're going out to Jesus. They know where to go. They're going out to Jesus saying, if we're going to have any hope here, we're going to have the one who has life and who has health, and we're going to go get him. So it's in the dark that God's glory can come, The glory of God can be revealed. The light overcomes the darkness and he can be glorified. Okay, are we good so far? Now listen to the weird part. Now it goes and says in verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Did anything strike you as odd? It it said, so, in other words, he loved them. It says he loved them, and it basically says, therefore, he didn't take off running to help. He stayed where he was for two days. He lingered for two days. Isn't that odd? He has a particular love for them, but he says, we're not going for two more days. Skip to verse uh, 14 with me, and we're just going to talk about this. Then in verse 14, it says, Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. You see, they're not catching on. Um, In fact, I should tell you, what happens next that I'm skipping over for a minute there is his disciples actually start to kind of argue with him because they're looking at the natural things instead of, instead of having their eyes on things above, and they're purposely not in the re- region of Judea where... Lazarus is okay and so they start to argue and say we can't go back there we're purposely not there because they're trying to kill you and Jesus is not there on purpose because it's not the time for his death and they're they're arguing and saying we we can't do that we can't go there and then in verse 14 it says then Jesus said to them plainly Lazarus is dead because they're not catching on that they think he's sleeping as opposed to dead They're not tracking with Jesus. And he says, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let's go to him. Okay? And then I have to include this in because it's just precious. Then Thomas, who's called the twin, said to the fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Okay, see, that's, you understand what that is. That's his pessimism. They've just argued about the, the natural circumstances that they're trying to kill Jesus. And, and so Thomas is fully grounded in that fear. And he says, all right, but he's giving in. He's going, fine, let's all go die with him. It's cool, <laughs> right? You got you to love it. I, I love these guys because they make me feel at home. 
<laughs> okay? I'm just saying, um, if Jesus can bear with those guys, he can probably bear with me. So he delays two days. Now here we're about to find out why. Okay, go with me. We're at verse 17 now. Here it is. It says, so when Jesus came, now he's, he's arriving where Lazarus is, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. I have to tell you why this is significant. You have to know something about their beliefs in this culture at the time. They believed at the time that when you died, your spirit would hang around the body for three days. Okay? So there's like, you can be sick, and then you can die, but your spirit is still hovering around the body. And then when you, you reach the fourth day, your spirit finally leaves and, and goes whatever they thought, wherever the spirits of people who've died go. In other words, Jesus purposely waited to the fourth day. He purposely waited until it went from dark to darker, it, but it, he let it cross the line to absolutely hopeless. That would be the moment where that's it. Lord, you waited too long. It's hopeless now. Now, can anybody relate? Have you ever had things? It's a rhetorical question, I think. But have you ever had situations in your life where it starts as dark? But see, you know where to go. You know. So you go to Jesus and you start crying out and saying, I, I have this dark situation, Lord. It requires your resurrection life. If there's going to be life in this, if there's any hope, and you're praying, you're doing what you're supposed to, you're bringing it to him, but it gets darker. It goes from sick to where you're like, it's starting to feel pretty dead now. And so you keep praying and they're still going for Jesus. You keep going and you reach that point where you're like, where you're like, wow, whatever changes happen in the circumstances. And it literally gets to the point where you can say to God, well, it's hopeless now. <laughs> I mean, it's not even redeemable anymore. It's gone so bad. And then how many of you, actually go ahead and give me a show of hands on this. How many of you have been, been in something like that and you have seen the life of Jesus come into it and turn it around after the point of hopeless? Okay, we got lots of, so you're not telling enough testimonies in here. <laughs> That's what's going on here. You see, and it's about glory. You understand it's about glory. It's about glorifying him, the revelation of glory. He loved them, so therefore he waited two more days. Because by letting it get to that dark place, and I know some of you are in a dark place right now, God's glory is going to come into it. You hang on him. The resurrection life of Jesus is for now. It's not something we're waiting for. And he loves us so much that he does, he wants to grow our faith. He wants to bring us into a unity where the glory of God literally breaks into the natural and reveals him. So hang on if you're in the dark place. He loves you that much. He'll let it get darker because he wants you to know, know him. He wants you to know that outpouring of his glory in love for you. Okay, so go with me. Um, we're going to go ahead and read from 20, verse 20. Same chapter, John 11. And it says, Now Martha 
Now we're talking about Martha. Now we're going to start looking at characters here, okay? It says, now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give you. Okay, so Martha gets a hard rep, but let's, let's point out something. She is declaring faith here right? I mean, this is a declaration of faith in, if you'd been here. But you can also see a mindset where it's a little bit hopeless, kind of like it's, it's an if. It's like, you're too late, but if you'd been here, it's hopeless now, right? But she still has the faith to say, whatever you ask, he'll give you. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And she thinks that he's giving her a theological dissertation. Okay, which is understandable, right? She knows enough to know that there's a resurrection of the last day. Okay, so here's what happens. The conversation goes like this. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die do you believe this? And she says, yes. Now we know from the text, and just as we move on here, that she still doesn't quite get him. But what's he saying? He's saying what I think we still struggle with, even today on this Resurrection Sunday. Where Jesus is, there's resurrection life because he is the life. When does your eternal life begin? As soon as you accept Christ, I think we have a habit of thinking that our eternal life, the abundant life, the word of God says that he came, that we would have his life and his life more abundant. And we think, okay, that's going to start our eternal life. Our resurrected life begins when we die. But see, we've already died. And if you died with him, then you're also raised with him. And his work is finished for his bride. So he is making us into a people who believe that his resurrection life is here now. You see, by the Spirit of God, he's in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit, which means the resurrection life is now. Amen? It's finished and he's building a people who actually believe that. Now, Martha is not expressing that here. And I think we see a bit of what can happen in our thoughts in Martha here. Now, in a minute, we're going to look at various characters, characters, real people, but, you know, folks in this story that respond to Jesus, that respond to actual resurrection life. Not the belief of something in the future, but when the glory of God breaks in, when you're actually witnessing God's glory, his resurrected life now as he fills with life. So just briefly, I want to point out two things from the actual raising of Lazarus, and then we're going to look at people's response to resurrection life. Okay, so go down with me to verse 38. And here it says, Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. This was a tomb just like Jesus's. It goes on and says it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, now he's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to people that are right there at the tomb with him. And he says, take away the stone. Now I want you to notice something. Of course, Jesus could have called hosts of angels to 
make the stone disappear or roll it away or blow it up. (laughs) He could have done it himself in supernatural power. But he doesn't. He looks at the community. He looks at his followers and he commands them. He says, take away the stone. Okay, so I want you to know something. We're all called in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ to be of and about his ministry of reconciliation. Every one of you. And this is one command that he has. This is what we do for each other. We take away the stone. You know what the stone is? The stone is what keeps Lazarus in the place of death. So you can't get out. Okay? We take away the stone. And then what only Jesus can do. It goes on, well, we got to look at Martha. Here it continues and says, Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he's been dead four days. Okay, that shows us she didn't catch what what he was saying, really. She's still kind of going, Jesus, you might think about what you're doing. It's going to be stinky in there. <laughs> it's, Are you sure you know what you're doing, Lord? <laughs> and then Jesus said to her, now listen to this. Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? That's what he says to her. Did I not say you would see the glory? See, that's God glorified. When you see the glory, the reality of his presence, the resurrection life and power, actually raising things that are dead to life. Now I want you to see this. Go to... We're just going to skip right down to 44. Actually, right before that, he says, Lazarus, come forth. I guess that's an important part. And of course, Lazarus comes out, right? He's wrapped in grave clothes. You would be wrapped tightly when you were taken into the cave. And so, you know, he comes out of there, right? This is how he would have to come out. So what does Jesus says to them? And he's talking to the community again. And he, he says, loose him and let him go. Now think about this with me for a minute. I have absolutely no doubt that when Jesus raises someone or something or some situation in your life, that it's full of life. There's no sickness. There's no death there anymore. When he raises, he raises. Do you know that? You know that to be true from your life? Okay, but he's still, so he is raised. He is in the resurrection life of Jesus. Who else is in that life? Okay, but he's still wrapped in those grave clothes. And so Jesus says to the community, he says to y'all, when someone's raised or a situation is raised, he says, take off the grave clothes, unwrap them, right? So that the reality, so God can be glorified because the reality of that resurrection life is set free. Okay, we can be completely raised by Jesus. What's declared about you in the courts of heaven, that you are alive because of what he's done for you, or this situation is alive because of what he's done for you, or your marriage is alive because he's brought life and resurrected it because of what he's done for you. But you can still be walking like this. You can still be wrapped up in grave clothes. And he uses us for each other to take off, to loose the life of Jesus so that you can go and glorify God, so that you can be the walking, the carrying vessel of the glory of God. We do this for each other. The Spirit fills us to do that for each other. 
so that the resurrection life of Jesus is actually set free. You see, God is glorified when his resurrection life is actually set free. Not when it's a theological concept or something that we're waiting for in the future. It's when we stubbornly and we boldly declare what's true and, and call forth that glory into each other's lives and really into our own life. I'm excited about that. I don't know. <laughs> now we're going to go through, we're going to continue on in the narrative, but it shifts a little, okay? We're going to move into verse 12, and we're just going to pick up some high points. Mm. What did I say? Chapter 12. Yep. Keep me straight. Chapter 12. And what this is, what you have to realize is that what happens next is we have a household that has just experienced, has just witnessed the glory of God firsthand. Someone's been raised from the dead, and we have a real household with real people in it, and the people are going to start responding to resurrection life. Now, what I want you to see is that you would think, perhaps, out of logic, that we would all respond to, the, to resurrection life the same way. You might think, you might, you might think, but, <laughs> but the scriptures make clear, and I'm sure you've seen in your own life that um, we do not necessarily all respond, or even the same person doesn't respond the same way in different seasons of your life. There are different ways that we respond to resurrection life, and we're going to see that very powerfully, and there's gold here. Different ways that we can respond. You, you see, we're doing that this morning. We sit here today and we are responding to the very real resurrection life of Jesus Christ. And there are different ways we can respond to that. So go with me to 12, chapter 12, and verse 1. And here it says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, and who had been dead, whom he'd raised from the dead. And it says, There they made him a supper. So that's our first context, okay? Um, that sounds like a good idea. They're going to throw a party. They're going to set a table. And it says, and Martha served. So there's character number one, real person, but, you know, first person who's responding to resurrection life. She's serving. She's doing good things. She's making dinner, and she's serving the people at the table. And then it says, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. So the, here's the one who was raised. And what's he's doing? He's going <laughs> to, you better believe he's going to be at the table with Jesus. Okay? That's what he's going to do at this party. And there's someone else at the table. It says, then Mary took a pound, so she's over at the table because she takes a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. There are so many cool things here, I just have to mention a few of them. You know that prophetically she's anointing him for his burial. In fact, the text tells us that in just, just a moment. But do you know that spikenard is not a burial oil? It's not a burial perfume. Spikenard is the anointing of a king. In fact, in their culture, at least those who were wealthy enough to have smelled it before, like Pharisees and Sadducees and, and folks like that, they would recognize the aroma. 
they would know that nard or spike nard is the smell of a king. So listen, here's what we've got to see. There are two that are mentioned here that are at the table. Lazarus, the one who's raised, and Mary. Now, now listen, in intimacy like that, in relationship with Jesus, when you're at the table, those are the ones who see the will of God, who are able to join in and participate because you can actually see what God is doing. You see the move of God. You see what's going on in reality from the Spirit to the natural right now. And that's how she is prophetically anointing him with the anointing of a king. Do you realize over the next week, that's, that smell would not go away. Do you know that over the next week, as he's going through those trials that we talked about last week, those Pharisees and Sadducees and chief priests and folks, they would be smelling the aroma of a king on him while they tried him. Is that cool? Now look, I want you to see something. It ends by saying, and the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. Now listen to me, it's sitting at the table with Jesus. It's at the table with him in intimacy, at the table where his goodness and his mercy and his revelation is for you that causes the actions that release the aroma of Jesus Christ around you. That's what you're reading. This house is filled with the aroma of the king because of what she's doing, because she's at the table with him. And this is how Lazarus and Mary are responding to resurrection life. Okay, one more character. We're going to look at Judas, okay? He, now, now, get a picture of this. He is also in this room. Judas Iscariot. Do you know what Iscariot means? It's not his last name. And it's not even really a name. They kind of, in their culture, they would give titles that kind of became part of your name. Iscariot literally means locksmith, okay? So, or a holder of the keys, okay? And he's called that because he was the one who was responsible for carrying the money box or for being their treasurer. So they called him Judas Locksmith because <laughs> he had the key to the box. Okay, And what you have to imagine is that he is in this same room that we've been talking about. In other words, he's in a room where there is Jesus and a guy that he just raised to life sitting at the table over there. Get a handle on that. Where the atmosphere is filled with the fragrance of a king. He's in that atmosphere, okay? And this is what happens. It says, I'm in verse 4 here. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now it clarifies in verse Six and says, This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. Okay, so you see, this is what I believe God wants us to see. There were two people at the table with Jesus Lazarus and Mary. And there were two people who were very busy. Okay, one who was busy with good stuff, serving 
Martha, okay? And one who was very busy with things of this world and idolatry in his thinking about the way things work, really, about what's important, about what gives success in life, and he's focused on that, and he challenges Jesus. He's anything but in the move of God. And listen, I believe that God wants us to have this today. I have conversations with people where I will be talking with them, and I'll say, do you see what God's doing? Is this exciting or what? And I'll be saying, look at the moves. Look what he's doing in the church. Or did you hear what he's doing in this family? Or he healed this person. I'll say, do you see Do you see how God's moving? And a lot of times the person will join me and they'll be like, it's amazing. I mean, they're there. They can see it. Okay. Other times I will have com- the same conversation with people and they will say, I don't see it. I'll be all excited. Do you see the move of God? I don't see it. I don't see what he's doing. I want to tell you something. This story tells us about different ways we respond to the resurrection life of Jesus. And those who get a handle on the reality of the resurrection life of Jesus, who are touched deeply by it, they are going to be at his table. And it is in that is the only thing they're going to be satisfied with, to be at his table. And it is in that place that we have the revelation of the reality of God moving in our lives, of the glory of God. Not busyness, there are so many good things we can do, but that, it's in that intimacy. It's at the table that we have that intimacy where we can actually see the move of God and participate in what's powerful and real and fill the atmosphere with the fragrance of the king. Thank you, God. The only important thing is the movement of resurrection life and being people who can move in real life, the life of Jesus. Fast forward to the morning that Jesus is raised from the dead. What a morning that must have been. (laughs) I mean, I love just celebrating it, just meditating this week about that coming. Much less, can you imagine? It would be so cool to have been there. I'm like, life's not fair. Which has just been so cool. But one detail. So, actually, I'm going to go on and say, I can't help it. See, you know me. I'm going to go ahead and share something. Do you know who was the first one there? Mary, Mary Magdalene specifically. There are various Marys in the narrative, and Mary Magdalene. Do you know why she was the first one there? Because of what we're talking about. <laughs> because people who experience the resurrection life of Jesus, the reality of the kingdom of God in power, they're going to be the first one there. They're the ones that the presence of God is the only thing that's satisfying to them. They don't need the money box and they're not going to be busy with other things. They're going to be at the table and they're going to be there where where Jesus is. That's where they want to be. And that's the only place they want to be. You see, and Mary Magdalene was delivered from the oppression of seven spirits, seven demons. Jesus set her free. You see, when you experience that kind of resurrection life, (laughs) being with Jesus is the only thing you want. And this narrative of Mary Magdalene 
shows that even before it was light, when it was still dark, she's out at the tomb of Jesus weeping. She's out there by herself. And she's the one, I'm going at light speed, I know. She's the one that angels come and minister to her. She's the one that sees the resurrected Jesus first. He, he calls her name. He comes and ends up standing behind her and says, why are you weeping? And, he, and then he says her name. He says, Mary. I'm going to tell you something. I still remember the day that, that my God said my name. There's nothing like being called by name. Mary is the one who on the, on the day that Jesus is raised to life, she gets to hear her name because she's there first, because she's experienced the resurrection power of God. You see, a theological concept is not good enough. And it's never going to be satisfying to find things that you can busy yourself with that are good and noble for the kingdom. It's intimacy. It's being at the table with the one who is resurrection life that releases the freedom of resurrection life in your life. All right, I wasn't supposed to do that, but I did anyway. What I wanted to tell you, actually, we're going to skip that other detail. Thank you, God. That was so much better. <laughs> Invite the Holy Spirit. Now, His presence is already with you and in you and around you. But invite Him to make Himself very, very real to you. Relax and let yourself go into him. Take deep breaths. Invite him to speak into your mind. Invite him to have your imagination. To meet with you in reality. And you're with him. You're with Jesus. Okay, you're walking on a dusty road. Imagine the road. Can you feel it under your feet? And he leads you and the other disciples that are with you. He leads you to a doorway. And you have to bend down a little bit to, to get into this as a short door. You see, you have to walk up a really narrow flight of steps to get upstairs. And you turn and you step into a room. Can you see the room? What details do you notice? There's a table there. The table is set. And Jesus looks right at you. And he says your name. Can you hear him say your name? And he says, come on in. I invite you to my table. 
Can you see the table? The many seats around it. Can you see the seats? Now you've got to choose one. As you approach the table, choose the seat. Go ahead and have a seat. Can you feel the seat? What's it like to sit at his table? Where did Jesus sit? Can you see him at the table? And Jesus looks around the table and he says, with great desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you. And he looks right at you and he says, thanks for accepting my invitation. I'm so glad you're at the table. He says, everything at this table, I freely give to you. He wants you to know that this is the table of his new covenant where everything changes. But this is the table in his kingdom and that there's, there's resurrection life here at this table. And then he picks up a cup and he begins passing it to you. See the cup coming to you? Go ahead and reach out and take it. Take the cup. And he says, I want to share this with you. Drink from my cup. Share my cup with me. And you can go ahead and have the wine. And then smiling right at you, he picks up a loaf of bread and he breaks it. And he pulls a piece off just for you and he says your name again. Can you hear him say your name? And he passes you a piece of bread. How does it make, it make you feel that he's passing you bread? And he says, this is my body broken for you, and I want you to have this freely. Go ahead and have the bread. Okay, go ahead and look around the room at the table. You're at the table. 
And some fellow Christians at the table start to argue about who is the best. How's that make you feel? Can you hear them arguing at the table? How does it make you feel that they're arguing? And while they're still arguing, Jesus turns and looks right at you and says, but you have continued with me in my trials. And I want to give you a kingdom, just as my Father gave one to me, so that you can always come in and eat and drink at this table of mine. He wants you to know that you can always, anytime you want, you can meet him at the table. And everything at his table is freely given. Go ahead and take some deep breaths and whenever you're ready, come on back to this room. And Father, I just pray for everyone here. I pray a blessing over this Resurrection Sunday and their families and this this year from this Easter forward in the name of Jesus. I pray over their marriages, over their families, over their friends and people that they love. And I ask that this would be a year that resurrection life would break out in new ways that they've never seen before in the, in the strong name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That this would be a year that, that resurrection life would enter all kinds of places that have been dead for a while. Lord, we declare our faith that nothing is hopeless, nothing is too far gone for you. And we declare the Spirit of Jesus over all of the dead places, that resurrection life would fill everything that needs the filling of your life in it, and that it would bring glory to you as people look and see the way you are calling out and, and setting free the release of life and power over the dead things that have gotten stinky. In the name of Jesus, we pray this morning. Amen.